Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, well, for the past, uh, for the past 10 years, this now being the 11th year, uh, I've done the summer sermon series, Finding God on Your iPod. Uh, Carl Bart famously said that you should preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I like to preach with the Bible in one hand and a record album in the other. That's a little more my style. Um, This is a series where what I'm doing is using the poetry of rock music lyrics as a springboard for theological reflection. And that completely can be done. It's not hard for me to do that. The poetic and the prophetic are related. And poetry mostly comes into our lives and our culture through contemporary music. And for the most part, during these 10 seasons, now we're into the 11th, I've really worked on keeping it pretty contemporary. Most of the songs, not all of them, but most of them were songs that had come out within the past 12 months. Uh, But for the 11th season of Finding God on Your iPod, see, we've always struggled with the name of this thing, because it was cool 11 years ago, like when you had an iPod, and it rhymes Finding God on Your iPod. But then, like, for the last five years, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of... And now, I don't think... I don't even know if they still make them. I don't... Do they even exist? Maybe they do. I don't know. They do? Okay, we have a dispute. I don't know. Um, So, um, we're kind of... How to change it. Well, here's what we're doing... We're going to move forward by reaching back. That's something that we believe in here at Word Alive Church, respecting the tradition. And so what we're doing is uh, I'm reaching back to the classic rock era. See, this was something I was born to do. I've just, my whole life has led to this point. Um, we're going to have seven tracks, that is seven Sundays of of uh, looking at music from the classic rock era and doing theological reflection upon it. When I say classic rock era, I mean all seven songs come from 1968 to 1973. That little window there. 68 to 73. There was some good music made in 68 to 73, and that's just just the truth. Um, And so since finding God on your iPod, even though it rhymes, that's nice, and we've used it for 10 years, it's out of of date, at least this year. We'll have to worry about next year next year, but... Uh, this year it's Finding God on Your Turntable, vinyl edition. I, I said that a couple of weeks ago, promoted it, and people were just alarmed. They came and said, did you say it's the final edition? No, it's the vinyl edition, not the final edition. People were like, whew, I, thought, I love that series. I thought you said it was the final. No, it's the vinyl records, turntables. You know, there is a vinyl revival going on. Um, because... You know, now we don't own music. We just stream it. It just, I don't even know how it works, you know, but it just comes and, and you, and it, there's too much, cho- you can, you can listen to everything. Every song you've ever heard is playing at the same time. It's absurd. That's a line from Arcade Fire. Um, so, so a lot of people, though, are, 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 they like to go back to, 
you know, something you can hold and touch and, and pull out a record and, and put it on. And, and then you, you sit for about 15, 20 minutes and you got to get up and turn it over. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of a strong vinyl revival phase in my life. So anyway, um, I've got these seven songs picked. All seven songs will come from artists. These are like major artists. There's nobody obscure. This, and you will probably know most of the songs. Um, so we might as well get the needle in the groove and get going here. Um, who is the first artist finding God on the art turntable? First artist is Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yeah. Jimi Hendrix. He is well, the greatest of the classic rock guitar gods, no doubt about that. He's the epitome of 60s psychedelic Hard rock. I, I wore my Jimi Hendrix outfit today. This like shirt must be like 50 years old. That's right. Jimi Hendrix, you don't really need an introduction, but you know, he was born in Seattle in 1940. Perry, went, Perry was in Seattle with our good friend Mercy Aiken, went to some museum and saw his handwritten lyrics, and I was jealous about that. Um, he, it's interesting, Jimi Hendrix, he, he broke out in England, not here. The British had to tell us, hey, this guy's really good. And he got popular in England, and then his breakout here was Monterey Pop Festival and then, and then Woodstock. But his recording career, this is going to amaze you, only lasted 17 months. He only put out three albums. Three albums. Are You Experienced? Access Bowl to Love, Electric Ladyland, all came out within seven. His, his recording career was less than a year and a half. Of course, you know, he tragically died at... Uh, in 1970 at a, in a hotel in London, an overdose. That's the dark side of that period, you know. Jimmy took an overdose. Janice followed so close. And he had all these people dying at age 27. Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones and Jim Morrison of the Doors and Jimi Hendrix and Janice Joplin. That's the dark side of that time. Uh, even though the music was good, there was, there was too much recklessness with drugs and alcohol and all of that. Uh, so what song, though, am I going to pick from Jimi Hendrix? He did three albums. Well, it's coming from the, from the last album, the final album that he did, 1968, Electric Lady Land. And I'm picking the next to last track on the album, which is the song All Along the Watchtower. That Jimi Hendrix did not write. Now, he, he, he made it famous. It's, it's the best version of it, but he didn't write it. You all know who, who wrote All Along the Watchtower. And please do not say Dave Matthews. Do not do, not do that. <laughs> No. All Along the Watchtower is written by Bob Dylan. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was a huge Dylan fan. He just walked around and carried a, a book of Dylan's lyrics. Today that book would be much bigger. But, and he, uh, in 1967, Dylan released the album uh, 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 John Wesley Harding, and he had that song uh, All Along the Watchtower on that and then Hendrix took it and kind of rocked it up. Dylan's version is, is it's only two and a half minutes long. It's a little short song, two and a half minutes long. Um, Hendrix's version is four minutes long because you're going to get 90 seconds of guitar stuff. And, uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple song. It's just three chords over and over, three chords. Three verses, no chorus, no bridge. But it tells kind of a story. It's enigmatic, it's mysterious. There must be some way out of here, said the joker to the thief. 
There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Businessmen, they drink my wine, plow and dig my earth. None of them along the line know what any of it is worth. No reason to get excited, the thief he kindly spoke. There are many here among us who feel that life is some kind of joke, but you and I, we've been through that, and this is not our fate. Let us not talk falsely now. The hour is getting late. All along the watchtower, princes kept the view. While all the women came and went, barefoot servants too. Outside in the distance, a wildcat did growl. Two riders were approaching, and the wind began to howl. We need to find out what that song's about. But first of all, we need to hear it, right? So check it out. All along the Watchtower, Jimi Hendrix. Must be some kind of way out of here Said a joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessman there Drink my wine Come and dig my earth
such a good song. I'll tell you, uh, yeah, it's a Bob Dylan song, but really, Jimi Hendrix owns that song now. And to this day, uh, Dylan has played that song more in concert than any of his songs, and he does it Hendrix style. It's, it's like his enduring tribute to Jimi Hendrix that he does it that version. So it's like he's covering Jimi Hendrix's cover of his song or something like that. All right, so what's going on with this song? It's, it's kind of mysterious. You're just thrown into it. There must be some way out of here, said the joker to the thief. And you're thinking, well, did I miss something? Weird? Who's, where, where, who's the joker? Who's the thief? Where are they? Why did they got to get out? You're overhearing this conversation. Well, this is another example of Bob Dylan being a thief. Uh, he's known to steal from here and there. It could be Greek poets from Homer or it could be from blues artists. Here in All Along the Watchtower, Bob Dylan is stealing from Isaiah. The whole song is drawn from Isaiah chapter 21. Now it's reinterpreted a little bit. It's cast, but it's and, and Dylan never told anybody that. You just finally figure it out. I mean, you're just reading Isaiah one day, and if you know this song, you go, wait a minute. That's where this comes from. So, you know, most, most Bible prophecy is Bible poetry. Almost all prophecy in the Bible is in the form of poetry. But poetry can be difficult to interpret. And without some help, Isaiah's poem can be just as obscure as Dylan's all along the watchtower song lyrics. But let's look at Isaiah 21. The oracle concerning Babylon. That's, that's maybe the title of it. The oracle concerning Babylon. Oracle, what does that word mean? It means it's a divine message. It's really a, a word that's most often used in the pagan Gentile world. The oracle would be the one that would prophesy on behalf of the gods. But here, this Hebrew prophet Isaiah is using it, saying it's the message, the divine message that I got from God. But an oracle is often a rather mysterious message that's, whose meaning is not always immediately clear. But this is an oracle, a mysterious divine message from God about Babylon. That's the key. It's about Babylon. What about Babylon? The desert by the sea. Like a whirlwind in the Negev sweeps on, it comes from the desert, from a terrible land, and the wind began to howl. A stern vision is told to me. The betrayer betrays and the destroyer destroys the joker and the thief. They prepare the table, they eat, they drink. Arise, O princes. All along the watchtower, it was the princes that kept the view. Prepare for battle. Oh, there's a battle coming. For thus the Lord said to me, go set a watchman. Let him announce when he sees riders approaching, horsemen in pairs. Two riders were approaching. Upon a watchtower, there's our watchtower. I stand alone. Oh, Isaiah himself is the watchman in the watchtower. Upon a watchtower I stand, O Lord, continually by day, and at my post I am stationed throughout the night. Then the watchman cried out, look, here they come, riders, horsemen in pairs, two riders are approaching. And here's the prophetic message, here's the oracle, fallen, fallen is Babylon, all her idols lay shattered on the ground. 
So there must be some way out of here, said the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. The root word of Babylon is confusion. Babel, Babel, confusion. So there must be some way out of here, said the betrayer to the destroyer. There's too much Babylon going on here. They're in Babylon and they've got to get out. Why? Because judgment is approaching. That's what Isaiah's poem is about. That's what Dylan's song, whether he fully understands it or not, is about. Isaiah's poem that Dylan creatively reinterprets and Hendrix reinterprets musically is about Babylon. The spiritual desert by the sea that moves destructively through history like a tornado. But the poetic watchmen in their prophetic watchtowers always preach against the idolatrous city by announcing this message. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Say that with me. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. One more time. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is, in fact, one of the most significant archetypes in all Scripture. It's a theme, the theme of Babylon is quite literally a theme that that runs from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. You could follow that thread all the way through. It's, It's one way... Of describe, it's one way of understanding the meta narrative, the big story of the, Bible, the, the big story of the Bible. One version of understanding the meta narrative, the big story the Bible tells, is it's the it's the conflict between Babylon and the kingdom of God. Babylon being the worship of idols, the kingdom of God being the worship of the true God. Babylon being the worship of false gods that leads to always injustice mistreating people. You worship wrong gods, you'll treat people wrong. The kingdom of God is the worship of the true and living God, and when we do that in truth, then we learn how to treat each other well. So the sins of Babylon are really twofold. Idolatry and injustice. And the kingdom of God is the opposite of that. It's fidelity and worship and justice toward neighbor. And one of the meta-narrative themes that runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the conflict between Babylon and the kingdom of God. Well, Babylon appears originally in the book of Genesis, where God thwarts human challenge to divine sovereignty at the Tower of Babel in the plains of Shinar and uh, east of Eden. In the plains of Shinar, the human race is building this big tower and they're going to climb into the heavens and they're going to impose their will upon the world and they're going to encroach upon divine sovereignty and they're saying, we will, we will ascend, we will sit among the stars, we will be like the gods and God says, you will not. And he confounds their languages and they're scattered. That's the introduction of Babylon in the Bible, and then it just continues. One of the most climactic and important moments in Old Testament history is when the people of God are carried off as exiles and prisoners into the land of Babylon in the year 587 before Christ. That's one of the most important themes in the Old Testament. Um, The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they're called the major prophets because their books are big. 
All of the major prophets speak of Babylon as an icon of idolatry and injustice and in one way or another condemn it. Uh, Isaiah is the first to use the prophetic denunciation, Babylon has fallen and has fallen. It'll occur throughout the Bible, but it begins originally with Isaiah all along the watchtower. He's the watchman up in the watchtower, and he sees the judgment of God coming upon Babylon, and he says, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Um, Jeremiah is the one who calls the exiles to live with covenant fidelity in pagan Babylon. So here you have the people that worship the true God, they're supposed to anyway, but they've been carried off as captives into a foreign land that is full of pagan idolatry and injustice, and, and now they've got to learn how to live with faithfulness to the living God while they're living in a pagan culture of Babylon. That's what much of Jeremiah is about. Ezekiel, uh, one of his major themes in his book is he launches a scathing rebuke of the spiritual leaders of Israel who are, who are exiles in Babylon and how they are compromising and they're beginning to worship the gods of Babylon. This is the worst thing that can, can happen is when the spiritual leaders of Judah, the Jewish spiritual leaders, begin to be seduced by the pagan gods of Babylon and it's Ezekiel that launches these scathing denunciations of what they're doing. The whole book of Daniel is about the challenge of navigating citizenship within Babylon. And so in the book of Daniel, you find these Jewish people who, who have positions even in the government of Babylon. And you can do that. You can be in the government of Babylon, but you have to know that at any moment, your faithfulness to God may land you in a lion's den or a fiery furnace. And so that's what you find in the book of Daniel. Daniel also gives the prophecy of the Son of Man who will ultimately overcome Babylon and all the other pagan empires. Then Babylon appears in the New Testament as a cryptic name for the Roman Empire. You see, Babylon does fall. It's conquered by Persia. But the, the spirit of Babylon just moves on. So it moves on from Babylon to Persia to Greece to by the time we're in the New Testament, it's in Rome. The spirit of idolatry and injustice. The spirit of you know, powerful pagan empires that dominate other nations. It just moves. The empire itself falls, but the spirit moves on. And in the time of the writing of the New Testament, uh, it has moved. The spirit of Babylon is now ensconced in Rome. And so at the time the New Testament, New Testament is written, you could, say, you could say that Rome was possessed. It was demon-possessed. Rome was possessed by the spirit of Babylon. So Peter, the apostle Peter, he's writing a letter to new Christians in the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire. And at this time, uh, the, the cult of the emperor is on the rise in the east. That is, people began to worship the emperor as a way of really worshiping the empire. The emperor becomes the personification of the empire. And uh, uh, Peter wants to warn them not to get caught up in that. And he says, I'm, I'm writing to you from Babylon. Of course, they know he's not actually in Babylon. They know he's in Rome. But they get the point. They get the message that Rome is now the new Babylon. 
And he says, I'm writing to you, the church here in Babylon. Although they all know it's Rome. That's where he's from. That's where, that's where he's living. That's where he's ministering from. That's where he's writing from. They, the, the, the recipients of the letter all know that he's in Rome, but he doesn't call it Rome. He calls it Babylon. So they'll get the point, and they do get the point. And he says, now you have to live as exiles. Even though I know you were born here, you were born in the Roman Empire, you've always been Roman citizens, but now because of your baptism, you belong to the kingdom of God, which is the opposite of Babylon. And so now you have to live a little bit like a, a foreigner, like an outsider, like an immigrant, like an exile, because no longer is the Roman Empire really your home. Your home is the kingdom of God. Your home is, well, the new Jerusalem. And now we're into the book of Revelation. In Revelation, which the, the Revelation is mostly the prophetic critique of the Roman Empire. That's what it mostly is. And then portraying the ultimate triumph of Christ over that. Um, in the book of Revelation, Rome is depicted in various ways. Uh, sometimes Rome is depicted as a beast. Sometimes Rome is depicted as a prostitute. Uh, but six times in Revelation, the Roman Empire is called Babylon. Every time it says Babylon in the book of Revelation, it's talking about Rome, as Peter did. I'm going to read you the six places in Revelation where um, Rome is called Babylon. Revelation 14.8, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. All right, there's the, there's the oracle from the watchman in the watchtower all the way back, you know, centuries earlier. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. She made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her fornication. Fornication here is a metaphor for idolatry. God remembered Babylon the great and made her drink the cup filled with the wine of wrath. Babylon is always under God's wrath. Revelation 17.5 A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the great, the mother of all prostitutes. Or we could say it this way, uh, uh, a mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the great, the source of all idolatry. See, Babylon always gets us to worship the wrong thing. It doesn't have to be as crude as actually bowing down before a statue. It's just, it could be money, it can be sex, it can be power, it can be nation. It can be any of these things that become idols, and we actually are worshiping that. We could even call it Jesus. But if we're actually worshiping money, sex, power, nation, that's Babylon. And Babylon is the source of all Spiritual idolatry. Revelation 18.2 The angel cried with a mighty voice, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit. See, Babylon is a spirit. It's not, it's not a location. It's not an ancient city under the sand in ruins in the middle of modern day Iraq. That's not Babylon. That was Babylon uh, 2,600 years ago. But Babylon is a demonic spirit that moves throughout history. Always self-aggrandizement is part of it. Always trying to be the one that dominates all the others. But ultimately always setting itself up as a false god, as a false savior, as a false messiah. It's demonic. Again in Revelation 18... How terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. For in a single hour your judgment has come. See, Babylon's always under judgment. 
The great city of, this is verse 21, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down never to be found again. And what, in the book of Revelation, what's the opposite of Babylon? The new Jerusalem. This spiritual city that comes from the heavens. Again, this is a metaphor. We talked about this recently. This is God's alternative to empire, idolatry, and injustice is the kingdom of Christ. And that's why the call is, come out of Babylon, my people. Come out of her, lest you participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Well, the theme of Babylon's fall really does run from Genesis to Revelation. Babylon and every empire claims for itself what belongs to God. Babylon is always idolatry, is always demonic, and always in the process of falling. I'm going to show you another prophetic poem of Isaiah. The same one that gives us the All Along the Watchtower poem. Or at least, you know, that's one way of describing what's going on there. Uh, he gives us another poem that's maybe more famous. Isaiah 14. It goes like this. Babylon's days are numbered. Okay, this, this, this is Isaiah of Jerusalem writing in the 7th century B.C. when Babylon is at the pinnacle of its power. It's the greatest nation on earth. It is the economic military superpower. It looks like they're going to last forever. And, but the, the watchman, the prophetic watchman in his watchtower, he sees and he says, Babylon, your days are numbered. That's the handwriting on the wall, by the way. That's in the book of Daniel. Remember that? Remember in the, in the, in the, in the time of Belshazzar, who succeeds Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon? There's a hand, there's a disembodied hand that appears. It's like, it's like horror movie stuff. And it writes on a wall. Remember what it writes? Many, many, tekel, parson. You have to interpret it. What's it mean? It means your days are numbered. You've been weighed in the balance. You've come up short. Babylon's days are numbered, but the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. Jacob not meaning the, the one single patriarch Jacob. Jacob being a personification for the people that maintain covenant faithfulness with God and are not seduced by the idols of this world. Babylon has always fallen. Babylon's always under judgment. The handwriting's always on the wall for Babylon, but God has mercy on those that worship Him. Okay? In that day, when the Lord gives His people rest from sorrow and fear, because empires always traffic in fear, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon, who was Nebuchadnezzar. But it's, it's, not, it's not really about Nebuchadnezzar. It's really about the whole apparatus and spirit of empire with Nebuchadnezzar being the personification of it. You will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. The mighty man has been destroyed. Your insolence has ended. For the Lord has crushed your wicked power and broken your evil rule. You struck the people with endless blows of rage and held the nations in your angry grip of tyranny. That's empire, wanting to rule over all the other nations. But now the earth is at rest and quiet because Babylon has fallen. The empire has collapsed. Now, this hasn't happened yet. It won't happen for another 100 years, 150 years. But, but he's seeing it. But now 
Um, the earth is at rest and quiet. The trees of the forest sing this joyous song. Since you have been cut down, no one will come to cut us down. See, empires always exploit the environment. Businessmen, they drink my wine, plow and dig my earth, but none of them along the line know what any of it's worth. Empire just becomes a machine, a rapacious machine that just churns everything up. But when the empire collapses, the trees go, woohoo! Have a good break. We'll have some people that can learn how to live in a healthy, symbiotic relationship with the environment, not just exploit everything. And the trees are like, oh, praise the Lord. It says the trees will clap their hands. Yeah. In the place of the dead, there is excitement for your arrival. All right, so the empire has ended. It's dying, and now it's going to go to Sheol, the place of the dead. And, 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 the, and the underworld, they're like, woohoo, this is great. We're going to. They're excited for your arrival. The spirits of world leaders and mighty kings long dead stand up to see you. With one voice, they will cry out, Now you are as weak as we are. You're dead just like we are. How about that, pal? Your might and power were buried with you. Now maggots are your sheets and worms your blanket. How many of you didn't know that was in the Bible? How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. So Nebuchadnezzar, personification of empire, was like the, like the shining star, the morning star, the Venus star in the sky. And he's the greatest one. He's the great one. But, but his days are numbered. But notice the hubris, the arrogance of Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar. For you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will preside on the mountain of the gods. I will climb to the highest heavens. I will be like the most high. This is the hubris of empire. I will be, I will, I'll be like God. I'll sit on, I'll be on high. I'll be, uh, five I wills. And God says, yeah, you will not, you will not, you will not, you will not, you will not. But you will be brought down to the place of the dead. Down to its lowest depths. Everyone will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the earth and made it into a wasteland? See, there again, empires turn God's good creation into a wasteland. Toxic. Just cut it down. Strip mine it. Take out all the trees. Just, you know, a wizard should know better, that sort of stuff. Is this the king who overthrew great cities and would not let his prisoners go home? This is what the Lord of hosts says. Because this whole thing is, this is the, Isaiah is the prophetic, poetic watchman in the watchtower. And he sees what no one else sees. Everyone else just sees the greatness of Babylon and nobody can stand against it. But Isaiah, he has the oracle of Babylon. He has the word of the Lord concerning Babylon. And he hears what the Lord of hosts says, I myself, this is the Lord, I myself have risen against Babylon. I will sweep it with a broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. Empires, what are empires? Empires are rich, powerful nations that believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. God is opposed to empires. God loves nations. God loves nations, loves nations with their ethnicity and their diversity and their culture and their language, all of that, all of it beautiful. God loves nations. 
God is opposed when nations metastasize in a cancerous way into empires. And they're not content to be a nation. They say, no, we have to be the greatest nation. We have to rule over everybody. We have to, we have to be way above everybody and everybody below us. Empires are rich, powerful nations that believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. God is opposed to that for many reasons, but the most important reason is what empires claim for themselves is what God promises to Jesus. Jesus is the one whom the Father has given authority over all the nations. Not some Babylon. Jesus. Jesus is the one who has a divine right to rule the nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to the Father's desire. So, Christians can live and work in empires like the Jews in Babylon, like the early Christians in Rome, but Christians cannot serve the antichrist and anti-human agenda of empire. God is not in the business of raising nations to so-called greatness. God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead and given all authority to him. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, but Christ is risen, is risen. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, but Christ is risen, is risen. The risen Christ at the end of Matthew says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember, in the, in the wilderness temptation, Satan tempted Jesus to compromise and to go the way of the world, which would be to bow down to Satan. He says, because I have authority over all of these nations, and it's given to me. I have authority because, because of idolatry. The, the devil has authority over all of these empires and the devil says to Jesus, if you'll just kind of compromise with me, I'll give it to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Be gone with you, Satan. It is written, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God only, and him only shall you serve. I'm not, I'm not falling for that Babylon trick. It might work on some others, but it's not going to work on me. And Jesus goes all the way through fulfilling the will of the Father all the way to the cross, but then the Father raises him. And now Jesus can say prior to his ascension, all authority in heaven and earth. It does not belong to Babylon. It does not belong to the Satan. It belongs to me. Go therefore and make disciples of my ways. And then the apostle Paul will say it like this. He'll say, he'll say uh, you know, Christ emptied himself. Though he's God, he doesn't, he doesn't claim the privilege of being God. He empties himself. He becomes a servant. He becomes obedient even to death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And given him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All authority given to Jesus. And then in the book of Revelation, it says that the kingdoms of this world have become now the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. So the next time you hear... All along the watchtower. I want you to just kind of smile and go, I know what that song's about. That song is about the fact that Babylon is always under judgment. It's always about to fall. And if you got any sense, you'll find some way to get out of here. That you will not stay spiritually in Babylon. You may not physically be able to leave, but spiritually say, no, no, I belong to the kingdom of heaven. There must be some way out of here, said the joker. There's too much confusion, too much babble, too much Babylon. 
can get no relief. The relief is to find the new Jerusalem and say, I'm going to live under that king. Not the king of Babylon, not Nebuchadnezzar or any of the newbie Nebuchadnezzars. I'm going to live under King Christ. So the next time you hear all along the watchtower, you can smile because you know what the song is about. It's about Babylon, and Babylon has fallen, has fallen, but Christ is risen, is risen. I'm your watchman today in the watchtower telling you that Babylon has fallen. Don't put your faith in Babylon. Just stop it. Don't put your faith in Babylon. Don't do that because it's always going to fall. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Put your faith in Jesus and the church he is building, and let Babylon go to hell, because that's where it's going to go. Amen Amen and amen. That's a good place to stop. I'll stop right there. All we have to do now is uh, have communion, hang out and talk to one another. Eventually, I'll get in my car, and I'm going to drive home, and I'm going to just crank all along the watchtower, put it on repeat. I can probably listen to it three or four times before I get home. Stand up with me. That was track one. That's the first track. Got six more. So somebody says, you know, you know Pastor Brian, he didn't even preach the Bible. He just preaches rock albums. I said, no, I was there. There was, like, tons of Scripture. Man. And they did strobe light, somebody said. Yeah. All right. We're going to come to the table of the Lord. And we're going to partake of the body and blood of Jesus. That we might be his flesh and blood presence in the midst of Babylon. That we might invite people into the kingdom of Christ. Where there's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Amen. Join with me in confessing our Christian faith as we come to the table of the Lord. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And this is the table. Not of the